Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Friday, February 23rd. I'm Hannah Floor. Sport fishermen won't be able to fish for king salmon at a popular slough near Petersburg this summer because of low projected returns. But anglers in boats will be able to fish for kings in the salt water at the mouth of the slough. As KFSK reports, some fishermen are frustrated with the plan. Petersburg sport fisherman Eric Wolf says when he's fishing for king salmon at Blind River Rapids, it's not sunshine that makes the perfect summer day. Those rainy days with a little bit of wind that just happens to blow the bugs away from you and keep them so you're not wearing some, you know, net over your head and everything. And net or no net, Wolf won't be fishing for kings there this summer. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game announced on February 20th that the freshwater sport fishery will not open for its usual season from June 1st until July 31st. However, fishing for kings in saltwater at the mouth of Blind Slough will open June 1st as usual. Fishermen can get there by boat from the Wrangell Narrows. Blind River Rapids is about 14 miles south of Petersburg. Most people get there via a quarter-mile-long boardwalk from Mitkoff Highway. It's one of the only places on the island to sport fish for salmon without a boat. Wolf says that while he does own a boat and could fish the mouth of the slough, it's not the same. I prefer to fish the rivers and take the hike, and, and it's it's almost that spiritual thing. When instead instead of listening to the motor run for twenty or thirty minutes, I get the pack on, I walk down the you know the boardwalk, I cross the river or in a good spot, and I w- walk down to the position where place where I want to fish. And it's almost like a Zen moment. There's something to be said about listening to the water and you know landing fish. The slough's king salmon are hatchery fish that swim two miles up Line River Rapids to return to Crystal Lake Hatchery. The hatchery rears king and coho salmon for sport fisheries. Each year, they need a specific number of salmon to return to the hatchery in order to raise new fish for future salmon runs. The slough's sport fishing is regulated by a management plan created by the State Board of Fisheries in 1997. The plan closes freshwater king fishing if the projected returns dip below 2,000 fish. If it gets worse to 1,000 fish, saltwater fishing for kings will also close. Freshwater sport fishing for king salmon closed once in the summer of 2013. It was partly closed in 2012 and 2014. This year, the projected king salmon return to the hatchery is 1,400 fish. King salmon stocks have not been doing well around southeast Alaska. Jeff Rice says these Crystal Lake hatchery kings are no different. He's the state sport fish biologist for Petersburg and Wrangell. He says an added challenge for the hatchery kings is their destination. They have to swim a two-mile stretch from the rapids to the hatchery in very shallow, very warm water in July. And that is the biggest, I think, factor as far as getting them back to the hatchery is making it through that two-mile stretch. He says the salmon are particularly affected because the run happens in the heart of summer. It's just a terrible place to have a king salmon hatchery that they have to swim through that two-mile stretch. Rice says that in three of the last five years, the hatchery did not have enough king salmon return to meet their broodstock goals. Broodstock are the fish used to produce the next generation of salmon. Rice says that while he can't be sure why the management plan closes the freshwater fishery before the saltwater fishery, He suspects it's because king salmon already in the rapids are one step closer to the hatchery. Those fish are more likely to return to the hatchery and help meet broodstock goals for the next year. The hatchery is operated by the Southern Southeast Regional Aquaculture Association, or SARA. I believe from my conversations with 
Sarah that they feel that um, it is important to cut off that freshwater fishing because the um, the fish are their most vulnerable at that point. So um, I don't know if that was the origin of the plan or not, but that that is uh, working as far as the hatchery believes. But fisherman Eric Wolf says the freshwater closure will affect locals who don't have boats and can't fish the saltwater. He says a lot of people depend on the fishery to fill their freezers for the year. I don't know what the solution is for those that can't fish in other ways. There isn't one. And I, and I know that the world's not fair, but there has to be some kind of middle ground. He says it feels especially unfair since many of the boats fishing the saltwater are lodge-owned boats filled with tourists. Wolf says those lodge boats are catching a disproportionate share of the king salmon. I'm not saying let's fish it till it goes dry. I think if it's truly in an emergency state, that we need to be responsible with it. But I think the solution needs to be equitable, that I don't care if somebody has a commercial resource that depends upon this. You have individuals that depend upon this for food, and if they can't depend upon it for food, I don't think it's reasonable that other people should profit by it. I think people over profit should be our first concern. Jeff Rice says it is possible to open the fishery with an emergency order, but that order would have to be based on data that shows the hatchery will be getting higher returns than predicted. In order to have an emergency order, it needs to come with new information. So June 1st, maybe we'll have some information, but I really need to have something that is telling me something different than the forecast. He stresses that if the hatchery doesn't get its broodstock back, it will create an even bigger problem down the road. I want to see people out there catching fish. More anglers is better. More opportunity is better. And that's what we're trying to produce. He says he'll be working closely with the hatchery while trying to respond to the public's input. The management plan we have to follow, can it be adapted into something better for today's times? Yes, and there's a process for that. Rice says anyone interested in changing the management plan should act now. The Board of Fisheries is currently accepting proposals for its 2025 meeting in Ketchikan. Anyone can submit a proposal. Rice says he encourages anyone interested in writing a proposal to change the management plan to do so. He says he'd be happy to help draft the language. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. And the deadline for proposals is April 10th of this year. The Board of Fisheries accepts proposed changes to Southeast fishing regulations once every three years. The Alaska House passed a wide-ranging bipartisan education bill late yesterday. The $246 million bill would permanently increase state education funding, boost Internet speeds in rural schools, and provide new support to charter schools. House Rules Committee Chair Representative Craig Johnson, an Anchorage Republican who shepherded the bill on behalf of House leadership, says it's a compromise. So with this, we are ensuring that schools can plan. Is it everything they want? No. I'll go back to my original statement. Very seldom do you get everything you want. This is one of those examples. The bill increases the base student allocation, the biggest piece of the state's education funding formula, by $680. That's the first substantial increase since 2016. The House Minority Leader, Independent Representative Calvin Schrage of Anchorage, says it falls far short of what's needed, but it's something. It provides schools necessary support. Does it make them whole? No. 
but does it provide essential support to help them keep going? Does it put some fuel in the tank? It absolutely does. The bill adds a new position in the education department dedicated to supporting charter schools and an appeal process for charter schools whose contracts are canceled. The bill would also boost state funding for correspondent students and provide support to young students with reading deficiencies. Senator Bill Wolikowski, the Anchorage Democrat and Senate Rules Committee chair, said he planned to vote for the legislation and said he would not be surprised if the Senate simply voted to adopt the House's changes. He says he's optimistic. I think this bodes well for the rest of the session. I think this bodes well for the other big issues that we have out there, the issues of defined benefit, the issues of uh, energy legislation, which we have to pass. But it's an open question whether Governor Mike Dunleavy will sign the bill. The governor's press staff did not immediately return requests for comment. Before the package was unveiled yesterday, the governor's communications director said in a prepared statement that the governor would not support a bill that, quote, fails to address educational outcomes in public schools. The U.S. Coast Guard sailed from Petersburg to Wrangell earlier this month. Their mission was to deliver boxes of donated goods to a Wrangell nonprofit that helps prevent violence and promote family resilience. Colette Zarnicki has the story. On a cold and rainy Thursday afternoon, close to 10 volunteers wait around at the Reliance Float Dock. Joan Sargent is here. She helps lead BRAVE, which stands for Building Respect and Valuing Everyone. The nonprofit gives resources out to people who are in need. Sargent says that today's donated wearables and household items are a collaborative effort with Petersburg's Project Connect. Project Connect provides resources for people who experience housing insecurity. There's no requirement to pay. Okay. You know, 46 boxes are coming in. Today. Today. Okay. And they're fish boxes. And so we've, we're protected <laughs> as far as everything getting wet. We're standing near a large crane, which will be used to help lift the boxes from the lower seaplane float dock to the upper dock. See that crane right there? They're oh, going to yeah, yeah. drop that bucket over. Oh, wow. And then the guys will put it in the bucket and it'll come up over and we'll load it on the trailer and in the back of the truck and I'll back that out. And then the next truck will come in. Sargent says that what doesn't go out to people during the Brave Annual Recycle event will be used for future events this year. We're able to generate a little bit of money for nonprofits and then, um, you know, help the community. After about a half hour of waiting, we see the Coast Guard Cutter Pike approaching from a distance. It takes about 20 minutes for the Coast Guard to secure the cutter to the dock. After the Coast Guard secures the vessel, the 12-person crew begins to unload the goods. They work in what resembles a factory line to bring the boxes to the metal bucket attached to the dock's crane lift. Chief Officer Kevin Chapman says this is the fourth annual delivery for Brave that the Coast Guard has done so far. Last year, the Pike brought over 66 boxes. The Anacapa did before us. The Pike, this is our second year because we just came to uh, southeast Alaska last uh, 2022. He says last night the crew packed out the boxes and then loaded them onto the cutter this morning. They sailed through the Wrangell Narrows and arrived in Wrangell a few hours after departure. We really enjoy doing this uh, community outreach for the local uh, communities out here. 
uh, and look forward to doing this in the future. Master Chief K. Jones, the cutter's officer in charge, says the 87-foot class patrol boat is named after a predator. There's only two of these uh, like this cutter in Alaska. The other one's stationed in Juneau, and it's called the Reef Shark. Jones is retiring next year. She served in the Coast Guard for 24 years. She says the Coast Guard Cutter Pike Unit probably does at least a dozen community engagements per quarter. After the Coast Guard fits boxes in the rectangle-shaped bucket, the crane lifts everything to the upper dock. This happens a few times. Joan Sargent from Brave says she wants to see Brave events keep on going for the Wrangell-Strong movement to continue. The Wrangell-Strong movement began in November after a deadly landslide happened in Wrangell. In Wrangell, I'm Colette Zarnicki. The Juno Assembly unanimously approved more than $3 million in loans earlier this month toward two housing projects. The money comes from the city's affordable housing fund. The first loan approved was for $900,000 and will go toward building 18 one-bedroom apartments on Cordova Street in West Juno. The second loan is for $2.2 million and will help build 48 apartments at the Chilcat Vistas subdivision in Lemon Creek. Mike Human, the developer for the Chilcat Vistas subdivision, said without the city's loan, he would likely have built condos rather than apartments. Apartments don't pencil out. That's why no developers build them in this town. But with this money, you guys make it possible. You make it, it's the only way it's going to happen. The developer of the West Juno project agreed that the apartments built would rent at or below $1,400 per month, adjusted for inflation annually for the term of the loan. Human agreed to similar terms for 14 of his apartments. He also agreed that 31 units would be available to people who make 80% or less than the Juno area median income. Both projects are not allowed to use apartments as short-term rentals until the loan is repaid. The Assembly recently received public backlash after a project that received a loan from the Affordable Housing Fund announced its units would be sold at market rate. Joshua Adams, a landlord in Juneau and a Petersburg resident, testified at the meeting last week and argued that the two projects needed more guardrails to ensure they remain affordable. We are not going to solve the housing crisis by more building of overpriced housing. It's like building boutique hotels to alleviate homelessness. Juneau residents don't need more housing. They need housing to be more affordable. He said the projects the Affordable Housing Fund supports are often geared towards seasonal workers rather than low-income residents who live in Juneau year-round. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.